1: Coming up on this week's show, turn your Wii into a classic Mac. Record
2: videos on your Game Boy camera. And we chat retro football games with Simon Reed.
1: And the Retro Hour podcast is brought to you each and every weekend with our amazing friends at Bitmap Books. Now, obviously, we're into December now. You might be thinking about retro gaming gifts for Christmas. One of their books you need to check out. I'm Too Young to Die, The Ultimate Guide to First Person Shooters, a glorious 400 plus page book that is a love letter to the early years of the first person shooter. You can check that out on the rest of their retro gaming books at bitmapbooks.com. And with our friends at PCBWay, who offer a fully-featured custom PCB prototype service with low-cost, fast turnaround quality boards. And did you know that they offer services like 3D printing and injection molding? And they're big supporters of the retro community. So get an instant quote for your project right now at PCBWay.com. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 355, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Robbie Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And very nice to have you joining us for our weekly roundup of all the big happenings in the world of retro gaming and technology. And of course, bringing you a very special guest to give us their history and their time in the industry in the second half of the show as well. Now, of course, this is our first podcast in December. Anyone recorded this podcast while they're looking over at the, the Christmas lights twinkling on the Christmas tree?: Not, not just
3: yet. My, uh, my <laughs> missus did get them all down from the attic today, and uh, I did come downstairs from doing some work today, and she had bought, you know, like the big outdoor lights but she'd bought the ones that like hang from like you know like your drains like your your drain pipes across the top of your house and i thought oh my god this is going to be like something like like christmas of the cranks or national lampoon with me falling <laughs> off the roof putting them up
1: tomorrow so you're going to be up the ladder this weekend then <laughs> yep i will be breaking my neck no doubt <laughs> Well, it is insane that we're now into December. That means there's only two weeks to go until uh, one of our favourite episodes of the year, uh, the Retro Hour Annual Christmas Super Quiz is coming up in a couple of weeks. The best of 2022 as well. All of that coming up over the next few weeks. And uh, before we get into what's going to be happening on this week's show, just a quick reminder that we are now almost at the end of our Kickstarter for the Retro Hour book. And uh, since last week's show, we have some pretty exciting news. We've only gone and done it. We've gone and done it. Somebody crank out the champagne, get the party poppers going. Yeah, no, we have are. have a slurp on the coffee in celebration. Yeah, slurp, slurp on the coffee. I've got Dr.
3: Pepper. No, absolutely <laughs> massively blown away. Uh, Sunday morning, I think we all woke up to us hitting our target goal of 25,000, um, which is just absolutely blown us away. You know, we, we, we had a few kind of nervous moments, especially before we actually launched it as well, like as a going to happen as we said before it's kind of now or never with you know the prices of everything going up um, but what that does mean is the book is happening we've got at the point of recording this about 10 days left now so it's going to be seven days left by the time this episode comes out um, but what's really really cool is because we have hit it we are now able to announce our stretch goal
1: um, and some more of the features that are going to be in the book which are absolutely awesome aren't they Dan? Yeah so um, we just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's made this a reality. The book is going to get printed. You will have it in your hand. Um, I honestly can't wait to see what it looks like. And uh, if if you've seen any of the previews as well, you'll know that we've really put a lot of work into this. And like Joe said, then, I mean, the aim is now, now that we've hit, you know, the minimum, we can actually make this happen. Um, We want to aim a bit higher. And obviously make the book even better as well. So we've announced this week that there are some stretch goals as well. So the aim is if we can make 35,000 on Kickstarter, we're going to add in four brand new interviews with some more industry legends who we've never featured fully on the podcast before. Now, uh... These are some pretty big names and uh, we've overcome things like language barriers and time zones and everything. Guess that we couldn't actually physically get on the podcast but have actually given us their time for an exclusive interview in the book. So another uh, first one you're very excited about Ravi.
2: Uh, yeah so I, I love these guests because the book kind of has you know we've got a lot of American focus in there. We've got a lot of yeah. UK and European <clears> focus as well but This is a side that we've not really had on the podcast this much, uh, which is quite hard because, you know, there's stuff like translation and uh, we've kind of gone through that and we've got some amazing guests coming up. So the first one is Motohiro Kawashima, and he's basically a DJ and composer of the uh, Streets of Rage soundtrack. So he co-composed it. He kind of went for Streets of Rage 2, 3 and 4, so um 4 was the most recent version and he he's kind of updated that to a modern style also I've the beholder and uh Batman returns his star's wicked. The interview is telling us all about how they used to go to techno clubs and all this. I'm not going to ruin it, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah th- there's some awesome info
1: on that one. Just one thing to say on that as well is, I mean, these soundtracks to these games are so incredible. They've actually been released standalone on vinyl in the past. Oh no, yeah, you know, that that is, Streets of Rage is one them.
2: of the most like banging soundtracks that you can get. Yeah. It's like totally out of the club vibe. Um, then we've got Dylan Cuthbert, who's someone I've always wanted to get on the show. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the founder of Argonaut Games, and um, he's a kind of British guy that ended up getting taken over to Japan and becoming uh, an integral part of Nintendo. And he's the main programmer behind the absolutely groundbreaking Star Fox and Star Fox 2. Then we've got an amazing pixel artist, one of the world's best, which is Henk Nyborg. Now, we've had Henk on the podcast before when he was uh, chatting to Bitmap Bureau, but we didn't go into that much detail with him. And uh, this is kind of an extended interview where we're going to look at some of his titles, you know, Lionheart, which was just wicked, Misadventures of Flink, and uh, Shanty as well, which um, Mm. has recently got a lot of attention. And then finally... We've decided to pull an extra one out of the bag just to surprise you lot. And that's Andrew Braybrook, who is the uh, creator of the classic Iridium 1, 2, Paradroid, Gridley's Day Out. And, uh, you know, these amazing platformers like Fire and Ice as well. So oh. there's a, such a range of guests coming out.
1: You, know, you mentioned Fire and Ice as well, but to me, now we're in December, that is a staple Christmas game. That I play it's every year. It's and isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, always want to get Andrew on the show. So we're really pleased that he's going to be featuring in the book as well. So um, they're exclusive interviews that you'll only read in the book if we hit that stretch goal. And that is up and running right now. So if you haven't backed the book, there is still a week left to do it. You've got to be quick and you'll find all the details at theretrohour.com. Right then, before we get into the news this week, we have got a brilliant guest to talk to on this week's podcast as well. I mean, obviously, footy fever is everywhere at the moment. Even me and Joe, who are not really into sports that much. You know, we're getting caught up a bit in the football fever with the World Cup being on, aren't we? We, we
3: are. I have just, uh, as we record right now, and I feel really bad because Ravi is actually a football fan. Uh, the England game, the England versus uh, Wales game, is actually on as we record. And I have actually checked the score. Um, it was only four minutes in then so n- nothing happened. <laughs> no I won't tell you I'm guessing you are got to watch it afterwards yeah. Um, but yeah I've actually found myself checking the score but I believe that's because I get caught up in it and as I've said on previous episodes I now do work for a sports company so it's good for me to walk into work tomorrow and actually
1: be able to say something about the game <laughs> Well, I mean, football games on uh, on computers and consoles. The ball's been something. that I love stuff like, you know, Sensible World of Soccer mm. and Kickoff 2. I could play those games because they were good arcade experiences. And recently on the podcast, we've kind of been talking quite a bit. Um, I think mainly in our patron section recently, haven't we? About these um, kind of new retro-inspired football games. Yeah. So we thought we'd get the creator of a couple of those games on and also someone who's got a big history in making sports games and kind of going back to um the amiga days as well you know used to be a programmer in amos used to do some adventure games back then and this is the founder of new star games simon reed yeah simon's
2: uh, a really accomplished programmer like he he started in amos like you said and he kind of went into these text-based management games as well. And, you know, a lot of people love like Kevin, Kevin Toms and some of these older ones, but um, he created one called World Cup Manager that was influenced by Dope Wars, which was a, a wicked game if you've ever played that one. Yes, But then he started creating New Star Soccer, which was a, a really good series that eventually went onto mobile phones. There was this kind of PC to mobile phone kind of path of development that he got into and then he ended up creating new star games with new star soccer it hit three million downloads huge success and his most recent games have like got to the point on the app store that they're actually being higher than twitter or facebook you know the actual app for that which is absolutely insane so they've been like massive successes retro bowl was um, one of his most recent ones. And now we're going to be talking about Retro Goal as well. So Retro Bowl has some great mechanics and kind of dynamics in there. And, uh, you know, it's just got that kind of retro feel, but addictiveness that even kids playing on modern platforms can look at it and go,
1: oh, yeah, or have some familiarity with it. Yet yeah, even, you know, the latest game, like you mentioned, then Retro Goal, and um, It's a brand new retro-inspired football game. that's available on mobile and uh, on the Switch as well. Kind of definitely got that kind of early 90s look to it, hasn't it, that game? Yeah. So yeah. very accessible if you're a fan of like kickoff and sensible soccer. And we kind of talk a bit about, you know, how much he enjoyed playing those games back in the day and his early days. And he actually did a, a ripoff of Another World. On the Amiga using Amos, didn't he, as a teenager? Yeah. So it's uh, which we've tracked down, which is uh, quite funny to talk about. So really interesting guest this week, Simon Reed, the founder of New Style Games. He'll be coming up on the show in around half an hour from now. Before that, though, lots of new stories to update you on this week, and uh, it is always nice when characters from the past make a comeback. And Joe and Mac, the Cavemen Ninjas, they are back. Yeah, man, this
3: looks really cool. So I've only ever played the Joe and Mac games um, a few times. And, and when I was younger, I used to think Joe and Mac and Caveman Ninja series were different games. <laughs> it wasn't until I was older that I realized they were uh, the same game. But yeah, this, this is released on um, all platforms earlier last week. So on November 24th, they all came out digitally, you know, Switch, PlayStation, Xbox. Um, but what's really nice is they're getting physical releases as well on the 13th of December, so next week. But there's a bit of a, a strange history with this. So the game looks cool. It's got a bit of a new style cartoon look to it rather than pixel graphics.
2: Yeah, it doesn't look like it's got the shader kind of yeah. look on it. It's it's, it, it's more like, to me, it's something like Asterix and Obelix, that kind yeah. of um, cartoon style.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's got more of a cartoon style than like a retro look to it. But obviously it is a retro game. It's a you know a platform of beat-em-up, which is right up my street. Um, but it's got an interesting uh, history. So this has actually been in development for 13 years, this game Jesus. has. It was actually announced uh, in 2009. Um, so it was actually started by Golgoth Studios, who um, they actually they, they went bankrupt in 2017. Um, and essentially, um, a company called Microids have published this game, and it's been developed by Mr. Nuts Studios, who picked this up, and the Toki, um, remake that came out in 2018 they picked them up in 2017 have been essentially working on them since then
1: uh, so the gra- the graphic style looks very similar to that Tokyo remake actually.
3: yeah yeah, it does yeah. doesn't it so it's nice to see something that's kind of been in development hell but like 13 years finally kind of coming out and you know it's an old IP seeing some love as well um, so I'll be checking it out having a little bit, little bit of a game on that with my wife um, I just you know I was looking at it I was watching the trailer earlier on and I was like you know what you know you've got What I was going to say for Ragnarok, God of War, Ragnarok, you know, came out the other week and I was watching this and I was like, I'd rather be playing Joe and Mac. (laughs) I I never knew knew about Joe and
2: Mac because I, I wasn't a console guy. And, yeah, uh, how many games were there? Were there? Was it like quite it's a series? Ravi,
1: Ravi it, Ravi, it did come out on the Amiga as well. Oh, oh
2: yeah, well, there's. It's probably one of the bad ports of console.
1: I want to say there was. Do you want to know? Can I just tell you what score it got on um, on the one Amiga magazine review? Oh yeah, got the <laughs> appear. It got twenty two percent. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> and Amiga Power nice. gave it the same, actually, twenty two percent. I don't. Was there many Joan
3: Mac games? I think there might have been two. It was Joan Mac. And then there was one where you played as like their kids, I think. And then there was a Joan Mac 2. So maybe two or three. I'm, there might have been a Joan Mac Returns or something like that. I think there might have been three well, or four. There's well, definitely this- been a
2: couple, but they're early 90s this version looks pretty 90s as well you've got a t-rex edition that comes with sticker sheets i've not i've not seen sticker sheets in games for so long oh wow <laughs> trading card and uh, a keychain as well but yeah sticker sheets that really brings it back i remember getting yeah, that uh, does bring it back james pond 2 and it had like all these james pond sticker <laughs> sticker sheets that were quite good fun
1: but it comes from that era, because I mean, I remember playing Joe Mack at my friend Martins on his Mega Drive. Mm. I didn't have it on the Amiga or anything back in the day. But it was that weird era, you know, around 92, 91, 92, when suddenly a lot of these kind of prehistoric games came out. You had stuff like BC Kid and Chuck, Chuck Rock, Rock yeah. came out around the same time. And Son of Chuck, you know, there was a brief era for about a year or two when suddenly loads of these kind of yeah, prehistoric caveman kind of games came out weirdly. It was a bit of a trend for a while. But weirdly, because we, we were talking about this a while ago, because when you when sent the story over, I was like, I'm sure we've mentioned this on the podcast before. And I've done a bit of digging, and they did announce this about three years ago, that this was going to be an exclusive game on the Intellivision Amico.
3: Ah, <laughs> that's what it rings a bell. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: which obviously I imagine probably isn't going to happen now. Yeah, it looks like they're bringing it out on a uh, general consoles that people have actually got in their house and uh, I, can I, actually own. Instead. I
3: thought you were going to say we covered it because of I know they did like a physical SNES cartridge release of it. You know, like recently on like HMV and um, Xavi and stuff like that in the UK. Yeah, They've done a lot of these like re releases of like Mega Man and a few of the Disney games, but on like an actual Mega Drive cartridge. But like it'll be like you know transparent, colourful, so it's a repro. And they did do a Joe and Mac one of that. So I was like, maybe that's why it's ringing a bell. Maybe we covered that,
1: but no, it was on the, it was meant to be on the Italian television. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's always cool to see old franchises coming back. And if, um, graphically, it reminds me of that Toki reboot. And if, if any of the team were involved that made that, I mean, that was a really, really good update. Um, Got that on the Switch, the nice collector's limited edition version of that, so that's really nice. So, um, yeah, I haven't got hold of the uh, Joe Mack reboot yet, but that could be one to uh, play over the Christmas break, I think. Looks really good, so um, I'll put a link to that if you want to check it out, and the uh, the trailer as well in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, we did have our patrons hangout last weekend, and uh, as always, it all seems to be a bit of a topic that we talk about, retro mobile phones. It seems to come up quite regularly on our patrons hangouts. And Ravi found a really cool website that is a game jam of people making new games for the Nokia
2: 3310. Yeah, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of, of like these dot matrix games and start getting a 3310
1: and modifying it for sure. (laughs) Because <laughs> I didn't actually realise kind of how many games came out on not only the 3310. I mean I'd Snake on it. That was about it. Um, but also there was other devices, that were around around that time as well, including the uh, the Palm Pilot. Now that was kind of a, a PDA by US Robotics. Um, came out in 1997. Kind of a handheld PC mainly designed a bit like an Apple Newton to help you write notes and keep track of events, and then you could synchronise them to your PC as well uh, via a parallel cable from memory. But also, it had some simple applications that you could put on there, including people made a bunch of games. Now, it turns out that there are now, you can play these online, 116 games that you can emulate that came out on the Palm Pilot. That's pretty cool. Like, the Palm Pilot, I didn't really hear much
2: about back in the days. It was one of these... Kind of names that I heard after the PDA craze, and uh, mm. I guess maybe that was because it was very American focused. And uh, there was the Newton as well. There was like quite, quite a few of these. I I always remember having like the cheap Casio PDAs, <laughs> and uh, you couldn't do much on those. But this is pretty cool, and um, it seems that you know Archive.org are actually hosting it. Who who are always great at uh, software preservation. But um, my friend actually has a Palm, but it's not the Pilot. It's like the later range of Palms. And uh, he uses that because it's got GPS on it. So he actually uses that uh, as his kind of navigation system. But it's massively out of date. So the amount of times I've been in the car and just got like completely lost. or it's like this road doesn't exist. But, um, you know, he's still into it and he still loves doing that. So Taz, if you're listening, update your GPS. (laughs)
1: I mean, I, I kind of do love the look of these kind of, you know, the old monochrome games that are very simplistic. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be playing Grand Theft Auto on here. It's stuff like, you know, chess and checkers and battleship and that kind of thing. Um, but interestingly, there were quite a few games made for the Apple Newton as well. Okay. Uh, I did a video on my YouTube channel probably about three years ago, and I kind of went down that rabbit hole. I managed to find a working Apple Newton emulator that only works on PowerPC Macs. So I had to install it on um, Mac OS 10 Leopard on my Power Mac G5, but actually emulated the games quite well. And then I managed to um, kind of sideload them onto the, my actual Newton to play, oh, nice. which is quite cool with it, with the connection kit. So it looks like, I mean, they're actually making these available from next week at the time we're recording this. Um, it looks like you will be able to download the original files and uh, put them over onto your Palm Pilot, but also play them in the browser as well. And you will be pleased to know, Ravi, I've gone through the list. And one of the games that is featured in there will be Dope Wars for the Palm Pilot.
2: Oh, great. I thought you were going to say strip poker. I was like, I wonder how that would work. Um, <laughs> I, I see that mines... <laughs> you could play it
1: on the spectrum back in the day, you know, Samantha Fox is
2: a- I think um, Use your imagination. <laughs> minesweeper's on there as well. And the idea of doing Minesweeper on the move is
1: is pretty dope. Yeah, so um, if you have one of those PDAs back in the day, or maybe I'm sure some of our audience have still got them lurking in a drawer somewhere, it might be a good excuse to dig that out again. Hopefully they'll be on uh, archive.org by the time the show comes out, and I'll link that up in our show notes as well. Now, we're going to tell you how you can turn your Nintendo Wii into an old-school Mac in just a minute, and something very cool that you can do with your Game Boy camera. Before that, though, now that we're into December, we mentioned that we just had our patrons hangout, but actually, there is going to be another one coming up um, a bit earlier this month, because Christmas is obviously the last Sunday of the month. That's when we normally do it. So we're bringing it forward a week, so that means December the 18th, Sunday evening, 8 p.m., will be the Retro Hour Virtual Christmas Party. And can I just say... Naff Christmas jumpers are compulsory this year. Bring your naff Christmas jumpers, your mince pies, your Baileys,
3: your mulled wine. You know, come along, let's have a laugh. I've, we did, we did the one just you know Sunday just gone, and it was a oh god. We were talking about some right bizarre stuff, but
2: it was a real fun one. <laughs> real, real yeah. fun one. I'm going to go full Scrooge, so I have like you know that hat <laughs> with like <laughs> that hangs down striped pyjamas.
1: <laughs> Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, we we love doing this. This is when all of our patrons, we invite everybody on. It's just getting busier every month, isn't it? Which is just insane. I love doing this. Um, And I always love the Christmas one as well. Um, And I imagine because we're doing it just a couple of hours after the the final game in the World Cup, people might be a little bit merry when they come on, which is always funny. Oh, yeah, you've got Um, to have a
2: a little tipple (laughs) on the Christmas one for sure.
1: Got to, got to be done. So that is coming up. If you want to join us for that on uh, Sunday, the 18th of December at the Retro Hour Christmas Party. We'd love to see you on there. All our patrons are welcome. And uh, actually, we're just dropping a brand new episode of uh, our second podcast, The Retro Hour After Hours, this weekend as well, uh, focusing on our top five arcade games. So all those memories of going to the seaside and, oh, you know, those long summer days in the arcades back in the day. So if you want to check that out and you'll unlock uh, 30 previous episodes of the After Hours podcast as well uh, for joining us on Patreon this weekend. All the details to support the show. And of course, the reason you're doing it is just to make sure that we can keep the podcast going into 2023. We can keep the lights up. We can pay all our hosting costs and everything. It all really helps us out with that. So if you'd like to join us on Patreon, all the details are at theretrohour.com. And we have got some new patrons to induct into the most prestigious high score table in the world of retro gaming, and that is the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. (laughs) Hall of Fame! And a huge thank you to our latest backers. Thank you so much to Grant. Paul Harrington. Frank Kuistra. And Retro Jerry, who all backed us on Patreon over the last week. We massively appreciate your support, and if you'd like to do the same, all the details are at theretrohour.com. But right, this week's special guest talking new retro football games with that New Star Games founder, Simon Reed. He's coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Before that though, um, have you got a Game Boy camera looking anywhere in your collection, Joe? I haven't
3: actually got a Game Boy camera, no. And the reason I never got one was because of I was always annoyed you couldn't record on it. You know, what's the point in having a camera if you can only take photos on it?
1: <laughs> well, I have got one. Um it's my wife's Game Boy camera. Oh wow. Uh, she, she had one when she was a kid. She's got the uh, a little bag that's got the Game Boy in there. It's got the printer. Amazing. It's got the uh, the camera, a little carry bag as well. But funny enough, the do- the bag that we, uh, we carry all the dog stuff in when we take them out on a walk looks exactly the same. Oh, really? So I have actually <laughs> picked up the wrong bag occasionally and, and took a Game Boy out for a walk before with a dog. <laughs> um, but if you have got a Game Boy camera, it turns out you could probably film a YouTube video on it now thanks to this new solution.
3: Wow. I wouldn't record a YouTube uh, video on it. So, this comes from Game Boy Camera Extraordinaires, uh, if you will. So, this comes from a company called Inside Gadgets, who are big in the kind of like the Game Boy kind of modding community. And they've done a lot for the Game Boy community. They're actually a company who provide um, the boards for like, you know, remaking like Game Boy boards and cartridges and stuff. So, because of them, a lot of people. Have been able to make a lot of like you know hacked Game Boy games and homebrew games and stuff you know which have been which have been you know
1: released through like you know limited games and stuff like that which is really cool. Even the Game Boy camera modding scene. I mean, there's this article on Retro Dodo. People have been putting like DSLR lenses on the Game Boy camera. It's pure lunacy.
2: Like I,
1: (laughs) I understand
2: it's for for a kind of novelty, you know. uh, But there's no. Actual practical, person there's <laughs> no, no, <laughs> for this in any way, like you could take a picture and you could just like open up, you know, Photoshop and reduce it down to, to look exactly <laughs> like it was made.
1: Yeah, a but Game that's Boy. cheating, Ravi. This is on <laughs> hardware. Yeah, where's the fun in that? Where's the
3: fun in that? But you are right, Ravi. You are 100% right. Um, so this is the Game Boy Camera Pick and Rec, Pick and Record, um, which is now available. Um, so it states you can record 1.5 hours. At three frames per second, uh, use time-lapse option of one to 60 seconds or take 18,000 pictures. So my understanding is this is a, like a, a mod board, a board essentially that you attach to the camera that essentially on the Game Boy camera, it has like, before you take the photo, it's got like a bit of a demo bit where you can kind of like wave at the camera and stuff. Like in it, it, mm. it you know, like a webcam essentially for, you know, it wasn't filming you, but you would see yourself moving on the camera and on the screen. Yeah, the motion, yeah. The motion. Yeah. And essentially, it utilizes that section of the hardware and fil- and it films it, doesn't it? Well, it kind of
2: bypasses it, yeah. So right. it's basically sitting between the Game Boy camera and the Game Boy and then outputting the video into, into another format, which is... Which is pretty mad. And also this kind of 1.5 hours at three frames per second. You may wonder, like, what can I actually do with that? You know, (laughs) 18,000 pictures. But stop frame animation, Mm. you know, you you could create quite a cool like animated piece. And I think there might be a few Game Boy movies (laughs) that start coming out um, of people doing like stop frame stuff. Um, Yeah, it looks like a cool little device and then even like um added a as Dan said a a higher end lens on the top as well which just makes it look about as high as the Game Boy itself. Yeah um, using the camera and the cartridge. And it looks a bit like a gun as well. (laughs) i
3: do do love this modding scene in the game you know in the Game Boy scene. It is really, really cool. So am I right in thinking so It, it is a video but it is essentially it's just thousands of pictures.
2: It's like one run. of those webcams that you had in the nineties. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, this is a live webcam. And then the image would refresh like, really yeah, yeah. slowly. It's kind of like, that's how it's capturing it. And I guess there's a lot of limitations, you know, mm. um, uh, with the amount of data that's being sent through that they're not going to be able to get, you know, 60 frames per second or anything like the, the limit here is probably the sensor on the Game boy camera, I guess. And, they can use lenses and they can use all other stuff to try and, you know, improve it. But you've still got that bottleneck of of uh, the actual camera itself. Well,
1: that's the thing. I mean, if you, like Joe mentioned, there's that kind of selfie mode, which um, you can, well, I guess if you turn it around, you can on the Game Boy when you see yourself on the screen. Or you see the subject that you're pointing at on the screen. And there's a lot of lag on there as well. And, uh, you know, the image kind of takes a while to refresh. It's only three frames a second, which is obviously going to be a limitation of the hardware. But I'm wondering now, you know, they always say that limitation breeds creativity. And with devices like this, do you think we're now going to see a an FMV craze come to the Game Boy? A lot of FMV games now coming out on it?
2: I don't think they'll be able to do it. Maybe like the Game Boy Advance, they might be able to do that, but... It's so 8-bit and limited. Um, I th- yeah, I don't know. But then saying that, we've seen people hook Game Boy cameras up and use them in uh, Zoom conferences. <laughs> Who knows, mate?
1: <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, very cool. Though, like, like we said, you know, there's no reason or that you'd ever want to do this stuff apart from you can. So um, I'll put a link to that if you want to check out the, the images. Very cool. Now, this is really bizarre. Um, the Nintendo Wii, a platform that never ceases to amaze me, Obviously, I mean, I remember when the Wii came out back in, like, what, 2006, I think it was, wasn't it? I remember friends of mine desperate to get hold of a Wii. You remember Christmas that year, they were just impossible to get hold of. Um, turns out, you know, obviously, I think, is it still the biggest selling console or is it the a PS2? They're definitely close, PS2 is ps number one, the Wii's number two, yeah. Yes, I know, you know, pretty much it's one of those systems that everyone's got one somewhere in the house. Even your grandparents have probably got one lurking under the TV or in a cupboard somewhere. Um, Just the system that completely changed the world. And that era that, you know, really defined like the after party, didn't it? You know, you'd always end up going back to someone's house after a night out or weekends around your relatives playing Wii bowling and Wii sports and that kind of thing. So um, the Nintendo Wii, and a great scene as well for modding, which is something that we talk about a lot on this show. It makes a really good emulation system. But I didn't think I'd ever see anyone running macOS on the Nintendo Wii.
2: Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. This is running a uh, macOS nine, and um, Macs are powerpc based, which is uh, interesting. And I guess there's some part well, they of, were then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess there's some part of kind of uh, you know that that code base that's being translated here. But it's it's really interesting. They're so good to kind of mod, um, having the SD card slot at the very front and being able to do, you know, a, a soft a soft mod and uh getting into that homebrew menu is really easy and there's a huge amount of stuff available for the Wii. I enjoy modding it myself. I've got a Wii U, but um inside the Wii U is a virtual Wii as well, so I actually, you know, mod that as well. And uh it's it's a really cool little system and um it actually it's one of the best emulation kind of devices out there. If you can get this huge array of emulators all set up
1: and running well. It's uh, pretty beautiful. Now, this is a YouTuber called uh, Dan Dumont who's uploaded this video. Now, the video's in French, and uh, the blog that he's uploaded as well in French, but we've, we've kind of used um, Google Translate, and also there's a really good article breaking it down on Nintendo Life. Yes, yeah, so what he's done is he's running um, Mac OS version 9.2, which came out around 2000, 2001. I think that was a cl- the last classic Mac version before it went on to Mac OS X, which is kind of the foundation of Mac OS today. But yeah, he's got it running, and he's used basically a a version of Linux that you can boot on the Nintendo Wii that then can emulate classic Mac software. So I do remember reading about this back in the day, Mac on Linux, it's called. So people used to use this to run uh, Mac applications on Linux back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it turns out he's actually managed to get this booting up on the Nintendo Wii. Now, it does mean that he can boot up some old school applications on here, including uh, Internet Explorer 5, that was the default browser on the Mac back in the day. Um, Unfortunately, Wi Fi doesn't work or anything on this emulator, so you can't actually get on the internet. He uh, even shows iTunes. Loading up on here too, Um, another little disclaimer, there's no sound drivers, so uh, you can't play any music, and uh, you can even play a game of Doom running at a very unimpressive one frame a minute. (laughs) So this is not usable by any stretch of the imagination, it is painfully slow, but it does prove that yes, he can do it, he's actually managed to get macOS running on the Nintendo Wii, which I think is just... uh, an achievement in itself
2: i, f- I guess it's because there's no like driver support or anything like that it mm. will probably be going like oh what's the graphics card oh what's this you know um it's 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 pretty interesting but yeah getting that running is is pretty mad and to be honest like mac wise um os9 is a world that i haven't been into you know i was i was X and all the kind of later ones um so yeah this is really interesting if you want to fire it up and uh check what it's like with your Wiimote,
1: then, um, yeah, you can experience Mac in a in a, in a unique way. Yeah, if uh, Internet Explorer wasn't painful enough to use, you can now use it with a Wiimote on a Mac at about one frame a day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is very cool that you can, you can do this kind of thing. And Mac OS 9 has still got a very loyal following. I mean, there are websites like um, Mac OS 9 Lives, which, um, you know, People are doing, still doing new software for OS 9. Oh,
2: cool. I and need to look into it updates. more. Like, I'm, I'm sure that they're going to have an Apple II emulator on there. I don't even need to look it up at the moment. I bet you there's one already for the Wii. So they've got the Mac, classic Mac covered, and now they're getting into the later range.
1: Yeah, so um, this looks quite complicated to do. Um, But yeah, it is very cool. So if you want to check out that video, um, like I said, it's in French, but you can kind of see what's going on. I'll put that and everything else we talk about, all the rest of the stories, you don't have to Google around. You find them every week in your podcast app, check the show notes, or you can head to our website for the links at theretrohour.com. Now we're going to be chatting to this week's special guest, Simon Reed from New Star Games in just a moment. Before we do that, let's take a quick second to give a big thank you to this week's sponsor, and that is our incredible friends at AdBot. Now, Ravi and I both do this in our day jobs. I mean, you you work on websites for people. Um, part of my day job is I work in marketing, so that means that you know I spend a lot of time in stuff like Google Ads. And I've got to say, anyone that uses stuff like Google Analytics or Google Ads and that kind of thing, Google, I think, is generally, their software is made by very clever programmers who don't always make it user-friendly. Yep. I think in their mind, they look at the way the user interface works and it makes sense to a programmer, but for the end user... They can be a bit overcomplicated sometimes. I don't know if you find the same Revy.
2: Yeah, yeah. It can be overcomplicated. It's it's hard to work out, but also it's the most dominant platform in the world for advertising. And uh it's it's really, really quite efficient once once you can effectively use it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean they own ninety-two percent the global search engine market. So if you've got a product, you've got a service, you've got a company, you need to be on there. And if you're doing advertising, this is a really good solution now. uh, Google Ads can be really complicated if you're not working with an expensive agency. I mean, they've actually worked out that it can take you up to 20 hours a week to run your own Google Ads efficiently. And obviously paying an agency is very expensive, but that is where AdBot comes in. Now, AdBot, is Google Ads done for you using artificial intelligence and machine learning. So that means they completely take over the day-to-day management of running your Google Ad campaigns. So really it's like outsourcing your Google Ads to a bot that's going to keep learning as it goes on. And you know you and I love bots. Oh, Big yeah. fans of AI,
2: aren't we? Yeah, I've I've used bots um for years like uh, even even our Discord channel is moderated by yeah. a bot, you know. They they're kind of designed to make life easier. And with AI, you know, bots are going to get a lot better. And uh, they work 24-7 as well, and seven days a week. So, you know, your bot isn't going to go on a tea break. It's going to be doing yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of work for you.
1: So with AdBot, I mean, you can automate your Google Ads in under 10 minutes, um, pretty much having your Google Ads on autopilot, and you spend less than 30 minutes a week ranking searches to help your bot learn. So, the reckon the have worked out the maths here. This is going to save you, on average, around 75 hours a month. And it's so easy to use as well. I mean, honestly, you'd have to be an expert at Google Ads, digital marketing, or even advertising. Your grandma could use AdBot. It is that easy. 100% more effective than you doing it or someone doing it for you. And they're a trusted Google-certified partner. So, if you'd like to outsource your Google Ads to a bot and see what a big difference it can make, then why don't you try our exclusive offer, just for listeners of the Retro Hour podcast. So if you head to this link right now, myadbot.com, and use our exclusive promo code, which is RETRO. So that is myadbot.com, and the promo code is RETRO, and you will get three months with no platform service fee. So that means all you pay for is the Google Ads that you will be paying for anyway, and you'll get Adbot for free for three months so that applies to their nine dollar plan and you can sign up for that right now check it out put your Google ads on autopilot and uh, make a big difference to your marketing all of the details are on their website myadbot.com use the promo code retro and a big thanks to our friends at Adbot for their support of our show now of course with it being the final couple of weeks of the World Cup if you're in a full on football fever you are going to enjoy this week's special guest going to be talking to New Star Games founder Simon Reed next on the Retro Hour Podcast You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it is time for this week's special guest. Now, obviously, everyone's been thinking about football with the World Cup recently and uh, we've actually been talking about some incredible new retro style football games. So um, we thought we'd find out a little bit more with our guest this week, Simon Reed, who is the founder of New Star Games. Welcome to the show, Simon. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thanks. Now, uh, before we get into these uh, amazing football games and other sports games that you've worked on so far, um, it's always nice to kind of go back to day one with our guests and kind of find out, you know, where, where their geek credentials started. So, uh, can you remember what, you know, initially got you interested in video games? And do you remember what, kind of where it all began, your first experience?
0: Uh, I do, actually. It was my, my grandfather had a, a little video game device that he plugged into the TV. It was basically one of those kind of Pong uh, let's say gray, uh, import devices. Um, and it, it played, basically played Pong and then like, like a version. We had two bats on the screen, which was meant to be soccer. And it was very, it was very glitchy. I remember mean, one of the controllers didn't work very well. It was wobbling around the screen, but that was my first introduction to video games and I think I was probably hooked from then. What was your first, um,
2: kind of home system? Like I, I, I read that you had an Amstrad as well. So you were a bit of a, uh, yes. an Amstrad fan.
0: But My first ever computer was a dead x81, which I bought second hand Well, my, my parents bought me second hand. I was probably about nine years old, I think. And uh, that was a kind of glitchy system as well. Where, where I don't know if you remember, you had to plug a tape cassette recorder into it. And if the settings weren't just right, things wouldn't load. I don't think I ever got a game to load on it um i just experimented with like programming basic and things on it yeah so that didn't last long i think the the best um machine i had in those days was a vic 20 which was handed on from my cousin i remember playing football manager on it and things like that but uh yeah this the vic 20 was um was a great great machine that i uh that i love
1: did you have the um the ram expansion on your ZX eighty one that would crash the machine if you breathed on it wrong. Yes,
0: yes, I had that. It was so wobbly in the back. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get much joy out of the ZX eighty one. Honestly, it was. Um, I can see why the per- the person sold it on second hand. It was, uh, you know, didn't uh, hold much joy for me. I'm afraid.
1: Well, you mentioned the VIC-20, and obviously that, that had a really nice keyboard. I mean, pretty much the same keyboard as the Commodore 64. So did you kind of um, get more into programming then? And what kind of got you interested in learning how to program?
0: Well, I mentioned Football Manager, and that was one game that really inspired me to write my own my own games. You know, I started learning basic straight away, I guess. And uh, by the time I got my Amstrad, which was after the VIC-20, I spent hours and hours just in my bedroom coding trying to make another football manager game. And back then we had, uh, I don't know if you remember, the meter where you'd put a 50p in to keep the electricity going. Yes. And occasionally the the electricity would run out and I hadn't saved anything. She so had to back it all up onto cassette. And, and I would be in t- well, I'd probably s- scream for a bit and uh, my mum would be going, oh no, it's not happened again, has it? I'd lose hours <laughs> of work. But yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was my inspiration, football manager to... Create a football game.
2: So, were you uh, much of a footy fan then? Like, who who do you support, and were you uh, constantly so checking uh, teletext as well?
0: Yeah, I was first fan, which which um, which started when Spurs were in the FA Cup. I think it was eighty one. Uh, so I was about uh, five years old, and I remember seeing Chaz and Dave on the top of the pops or something singing about Spurs, and I loved the song. I think it's Hotshot Tottenham, something like that. And uh, so for Christmas, somebody bought me some some Spurs sweatbands, and that was it. I was a Spurs fan from that moment. They chose me, as they say. Chaz and Dave influenced you. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah.
2: I hear that you were a fan of like Match Day 2 as well. Um, wh- why was that
0: game so important? That was probably the first game where me and my, my best mate at the time just started playing against each other, you know, two players. So he'd come around and I'd play on the Amstrad and then I'd go around his and play on the ZX Spectre and we'd compare them. But yeah, that's where it was a great rivalry. This rivalry went on from like, you know, early um, teens or 11, 12 years old through to our 20s where we were playing on uh, Xboxes or whatever. But yeah, that was one of the first games that we, we used to play against each other. Soon followed and surpassed by Emin Hughes International Soccer, which was one of my
1: all-time favorite uh, football games. You mentioned um, Kevin Tom's football manager. I mean, were you also really interested in that side of it as well? And I imagine the the management aspect rather than just the game of football.
0: Yeah. Well, the football manager basically inspired me because it was mostly text based. Um, And it's like, well, that's just kind of, you know, getting text up on the screen. You can do that in basic quite easily. So that's where it, it felt like that was an easy game to make, whereas opposed, you know, to match day two or something, which is all graphical. Um, I had no idea what I was doing there. And it wasn't until programming languages such as Amos came along that that allowed me to experiment with sprites and things. I'm, I'm not one of these guys that can show you know, code in machine code or anything like that. It's, uh, it has to be very high-level um, coding for me. I'm more of a designer, I guess, than, than, than a coder. It's interesting because, like, back then I
2: mentioned teletext and stuff. You know, text with football was... Um you know you could get some excitement in there you could actually yeah. get you know uh a kind of feeling of the game in the match where uh now you know you'd have to watch it uh or, or watch something and even listening to the radio is a bit kind of like you know out of date compared to uh everybody watching it on satellite and stuff like that yeah D- did you like that kind of excitement and the language that was used in uh text games
0: Yes. I mean I'm not I'm not um big into RPGs and, you know, those kind of text based um adventure games. And today I find, you know, like Japanese RPGs and things like that which were very which are very text haring story heavy and loads of dialogue between the characters and things. It actually really turns me off. I'm like, oh I can't be bothered with this. I wanna to get to the action. But with my games, I tend to use text uh, quite a lot to just skip through the, the boring parts of the action, if you like. So, where uh, you've got defending to happen, it's like, nah, let's just, let's just put a couple of lines of text that'll, that solve that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's, um, it's something that I do rely on, but try to use sparing. I, I don't like games that just, throw too many words at you it needs to be concise and uh, i always find it like you'd have a text description of a match and you like
2: read it in a newspaper and you think oh that sounds interesting then you watch the goal and you're like oh okay (laughs) it's not as uh, kind of hyped as they said
1: well you mentioned about amos as well um that was a, a really good basic programming language for the amiga uh, by the lovely Francois Lyonnais. We've had him on the podcast before. Um, and obviously, I imagine you got a hold of an Amiga by that stage then. I mean, did, uh, did Amos help a lot then? And also having, you know, a 16-bit platform to develop games on. Kind T- of tell us a bit about that. Yeah,
0: well, I think Amos um, was the first time I could actually get some graphics up on the screen. Uh, yeah, we had an Amiga. I had an, well, me and my, my um, football game buddy, Mike, we, we actually bought an, an Amiga between us well, actually his mum bought it and uh we paid her off weekly. Um, you know, with our pocket money or whatever. Nice. And uh we yeah, we um we'd play obviously games on it a lot, but i I picked up Amos to sort of further my uh understanding of coding and everything. And um yeah, I remember writing a game very much inspired by um Another World and you know, that kind of spacey kind of um mysterious adventure game. And, uh, it probably took about 15 minutes to complete from start to end. But, um, I managed to, I think it might have appeared on a cover disc or something as like a shareware program. And I'd forgotten about this game, you know, until years later and I see it, it popped up on YouTube and someone's actually played through the whole thing and recorded it on YouTube, which is just mind blowing. I wrote it when I was about 15 years old. Yes, it's not, it's not very good. Homage to Another World, but it was uh, my first proper finished product, I guess.
1: Was that the um, Captain Bonus in Another World game? I'm looking That's at the one. That. Yes. yes,
0: yeah. Someone <laughs> pointed out that in on the title screen, Another World was um, had a spelling error, and I think looking back, that was because I was trying to avoid really? any lawsuits. That just basically used the same name.
1: Yeah, W-O-L-R-D. Yeah, you was, L. <laughs> that was
0: my very clever tactic when I was 15 years
1: old. <laughs> it actually looks, I mean, I've, I haven't played this, but I'm definitely going to give it a download and try it out. But I think um, graphically it does look very much like another world then. So, I mean, why did you kind of go down that path of trying to do an adventure-style game? Was that just kind of what you were into at the time?
0: Yeah, well, this, this buddy of mine, Mike, he, he did an art project uh, at school which was inspired by, do you remember Prince of Persia? Is it um, Jordan yeah. Walkner, the, the guy that made it? I think he filmed his brother doing loads of like karate moves and jumps and things. And he used those to sort of trace the, the, the sprites. And uh, rotoscoping, it was, wasn't rotoscoping, it? Rotoscoping, that's yeah. it. And um, yeah, so my friend, he, he did something similar. He'd filmed himself running around doing jumps and all this kind of stuff and then put the sort of frames into an art project. So, you know, it's more of like an a- animation kind of um, project. And I thought, well, I can use those. I can use those in the game just as, you know, it, it was done in another, um, in uh, Prince of Persia. So I got the sprite, uh, up and running and, uh, thought, well, let's do something along the lines of another world and, uh, use that very much of a. it was, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, it wasn't something I ever thought would, uh, get released properly or published, but it was, um, it was just something I wanted to, to do and something that, I actually finished, which was a you know, which is a very very important thing to learn as a, as a game designer. Just get a product finished uh, and get it out there and just see what see what happens.
2: Uh, at what point did you move on from Amos then, and uh, what language did you go into?
0: I remember doing my A levels. I did computer studies at A level, and uh, I think I used Amos to do this A level project. You had to print out all the code and. It was like a database. And I, of course I wanted to do some kind of football database. Everyone else was doing kind of, you know, business database management programs. And I thought, well, wow, that's boring. I'm going to do something video game related. Um, so I did a ba- database of football teams and players, I think it was, and I wrote it in Amos and I was quite proud of it. And then, uh, my A level results came in. I got an E and I, I to this day, I think my, my, um, uh, my tutor that, that, um, marked that coursework. Just didn't understand the language of Amos and thought, well, I see I'm failing, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I got on E for A-level computer science and um, and gave up on my dreams of being a coder, I guess, a game designer. So I went to uni and studied uh, studied English literature. Well, a, a great um, text-based
2: title that came on later was uh, Dope Wars. And I absolutely loved this title. I thought it was really innovative and uh, it really worked well on the web as well as on the on the computer um you worked on a title that was kind of influenced by that which was a world cup manager
0: yes yeah, so well after my uni days which um uh, I, I barely touched a pc for four years it was uh, I, I remember the girl next in the in the room next to me had a word processor so that's how we did all our uh, essays and things it was uh, we borrowed that one and printed the out. Uh, just towards the end of my, um, uni- university days, I remember doing a, a HTML course. It was like a, um, you know, something you could, you could just tag onto your, your studies. And it was my first time actually using the web and, and seeing, uh, how web pages are put together. And obviously it was very rudimentary back in those days with hyperlinks and everything being this kind of newfangled technology. Yeah, so I, I, that was my first kind of taste of PCs. But when I left uni, I came back home. Yeah, as you say, dope Pause was um, sort of doing the rounds, and was this kind of sensational, um, slightly scandalous game where you had to buy and sell uh, various uh, substances to make money. Uh, and I thought, well, that looks really simple. That's just um, it's basically a Windows app with some buttons, which you know is using the text very cleverly again it, it it feels like a really interesting game i thought i could do something similar um but for football and make a, a world cup manager game so yeah that was my first sort of foray back into coding so i was learning c++ back then and to be fair that game could have been
2: about anything really i think that kind of uh the mechanics of it were were, were really interesting and the kind of buying and trading and stuff and you yeah. can see how that can apply to a
0: you know football and players it's become i mean that that whole kind of i suppose it's like an early tycoon game isn't it where you kind of level as as you earn more money you can buy more things and then you make more money from that and you level up and um buy more equipment so i think in that you could buy buy a gun to defend yourself and things like this but obviously when you start out you've just got a few dollars to spend and that whole ethos of of leveling up and um the RPG side of it is just massive now. I, I watch my boys playing, um, I've got three young boys, they all play Roblox. And so many of those games revolve around that tycoon aspect of uh, starting with nothing and then you know, building up a portfolio of, of items that, that help you earn more cash and then you, you know, level up those items. It's just, uh, yeah, you can see the seeds of it in games like Don't
1: Pause. Yeah, I think in many ways as well, that kind of gives you a good foundation in life doesn't it? It's kind of a bit of a training for going what? into the business world later on, I guess. Yeah,
0: you do wonder. Uh, it's like their, their minds are, are completely tuned into this kind of idea that you just start with nothing
1: and you can end up being a tycoon. So what led to you forming your own company, New Star, in 2003? Uh, well, it, I think World Cup Manager
0: came out. I put it on the, on the internet, on a web page. Um, people could download it for free. I think there was like a donate button May have made a you know yeah a few tens of dollars or something pounds, but uh, I followed that up. Did I do that? I think I might have done the European Championships a couple of years later. Uh, And then I thought, well, you know, I need I need if I'm going to start making money, I need to create a a company and um, set up New Star Games. It was just like a sole trader company, so any money that came in through selling these games would go into the company. Yeah, I think new star i wrote the first new star software which was very similar all text based just buttons on a on a windows app and uh that started sort of getting a bit of a a fan base um again not not much money only a few hundred bucks but it was something that i sort of felt really passionate about and i just kept upgrading it you know and making new versions and with each one the success would grow and it was just really really exciting do you think there'd been a kind of
2: gap of those like
0: management and
2: uh those kind of RPG style um games um in the kind of PC um era and uh having that coming out at that time led to this like fan base and following.
0: I guess so. Yeah. I mean the the only game that I could remember that was in any way similar was on the spectrum. It might have been on other machines, but I remember it on the spectrum. Um, my friend had it. It was Footballer of the Year, published by Gremlin. And I think that was, you know, all about scoring goals. You had like, I think you had like cards that you could, uh, it was, it was a bit like a board game in that sense where you'd pick up a card and it'd have like, you, I don't know, you'd earn some cash or you get another shot for the next game, something like that. And it was, it was all about being a, a player and winning the league. And that was something I don't think really anyone else was doing. There might have been the odd game here and there, but it was something I wanted to do. But go into it a lot deeper and you know, I have a proper, uh, have proper, Uh, divisions and pyramid system Uh, and a bit more control over your your life so having you know a girlfriend dealing with your teammates and your boss that kind of thing that's that's really interesting actually
2: having like the the lifestyle of the players because you know you play a lot of these games and it's like they're just these kind of sprites or these objects that you have that uh, help you know you, you have the stats of their speed and stuff but you don't have elements like their girlfriend <laughs>
0: and yeah. you know all these extras do you think that uh
2: helped it kind of personalize the series
0: yeah absolutely i mean everyone loves um uh, the casino and uh, uh that yeah i'm not sure uh when did i put it, the horse racing i think horse racing was in new star soccer three and people would play it for you know for hours and and not actually progress their career much they're just like spending money in the casino or yeah just um just enjoying the RPG elements to it. But yeah, I think that that is quite unique. You don't get um, many football games where you can buy a racehorse
1: and uh, make, make money from it. Well, New Star Soccer I mean, did really well. I mean, The series hit 3 million downloads and we uh, even got a BAFTA as well. So tell us a bit about getting that and were you kind of blown away by the, the success in getting the BAFTA award? Yeah,
0: I mean, the the, uh, the game was my first attempt at doing something on mobile devices. And I just put it out there, thinking, well, let's just see how it does. You know, I had a, a, quite a good following on PC, but the games were very different and a bit more broad. You know, the whole, you'd play the whole match running around on the field. Um, whereas the mobile version was really streamlined, uh, where you just have chances to score goals, very much like Football of the Year. In fact, yeah, it just, it just grew and grew. Like there was, I also put a web version out. So the web version helped increase the downloads on, on uh, it was only on uh, iPhones at the time um, initially and uh, yeah the, the downloads just started picking up day on day and uh, it was just incredible seeing it climb the charts and then uh, you know I was checking Twitter and it was starting the buzz seemed to be brewing on Twitter and yeah it was um, after about a month or two I think it sort of went number one in the UK charts uh, so it was like Huge success and completely unexpected. And it was uh, probably about a year after launch that it, it won the BAFTA as well, which was just surreal, just absolutely surreal. They never, never dreamt of uh, even entering it. So a friend of mine just said, you know, you should, should enter it to the BAFTAs. It'll win. It'll definitely win. And I was like, don't be dull. Hmm. But it convinced me to, to enter it in. And uh, yeah, it did win, which is just insane mm-hmm. considering like EA Sports, um, you know, Codemasters, they had games in that year. So, it was a, a, a real proud moment for me. Did you have to get, to get all um,
1: tuxedoed <laughs> up and go to the awards and accept it?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. I had to, I, I had to do right. a speech as well, which was um, an acceptance speech, which showed I was quite confident because I'd written one out and memorized it. And uh, yeah, I, I was presented at the award by um, Martin Fire
1: and a German tennis player, I forgot his name, Boris Becker. Very cool. So um, I mean, kind of looking to today. I mean, obviously, New Star Soccer had a lot of fun elements in there as well, and kind of in many ways felt that it didn't take itself too seriously. But do you think today that too many games kind of focus a bit more on realism and you know kind of lose that fun element with things like microtransactions and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, obviously on the console there isn't a huge uh, range of choice, uh, and it's all very much trying to look like um, Sky Sports you know, present TV presentation, which really bugs me uh it's like i don't want it to feel i'd rather it felt like you were a fan in the crowd than you're watching it on tv with that what kind of pizzazz and screens screen wipes shooting across and replays cutting in all that kind of nonsense um so that that that's annoying but yeah on mobile it's 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 a better yeah more choices on mobile but yeah i think a lot of games there's been a lot of new star software clones over the years and none of them quite get it right most of them ruin it with microtransactions, and that's something i'm very sort of you know, wary of i don't I, there are obviously things you can buy in my games but i try to keep it fair uh, and try not to nickel and dime players
2: well you took uh the new star soccer series to like five games um how, how did the series like develop over time and um w- why did you move on to like retro bowl and um retro soccer
0: well the the, the initial games on pc were just uh I just iterated on each version. I got to uh, new Star Soccer Four, which I wrote whilst Lucy and I my uh, she's now my wife. we We traveled around Australia for a year. Uh, she was working as a nurse, like we spent three months in uh, Sydney, three months in Melbourne, and uh three months sort of traveling and um yeah we I was writing it like whilst uh, out there on my laptop thinking it was going to be a huge success because new star soccer 3 had been a big success but actually it came out and it was to be honest it was bug ridden and it didn't have the kind of instant uh, appeal of new star soccer 3 so it was a complete letdown uh and for a few years after that i was kind of a bit disheartened by new star soccer it, it didn't um i kind of left it alone for a bit i did some other other sport games trying to call back some money that you know grew Gone into a lot of debt traveling around australia and not actually me not actually working just working on a game that didn't make any money in the end um so it was just a case of like living day-to-day and uh trying to make games that would make a bit of cash um and it wasn't until sort of 2011 i think i did new stuff so Five on the pc and, and mac machines and then that's what i use as a basis to translate it to to mobile so yeah, it was a kind of natural progression really. And, uh, I think those first five games taught me so much about how to make, you know, a game fun and actually being forced to strip everything back and make a mobile game where you don't want, you know, complicated controls. Uh, you don't want it to be too deep. You want it to be quite instant so you can play it for five minutes. But the, the other side of that is I wanted to be able to play it five minutes and have fun, but also play it for an hour and, and not get bored. so yeah i think it was a real learning process from new star soccer for uh new star soccer one to five uh and it all culminated in the uh the mobile version and i guess like uh
2: mobile gaming's not as developed as it was uh as it is now but um like working on the pc version and then porting it over to a mobile what what were the kind of considerations needed and could you take much of the code and the assets and stuff and just Transfer it across, or was it like a total rework?
0: Uh, well, actually, I used all, lots of the assets from the the art assets from New Star Soccer Five and Four. What I was most proud of from New Star Soccer Four was the kind of football database, like the competition uh, database, where you you had I had you know leagues from all over the world. I had all the cup competitions that go with those leagues. I had the European competitions, and I had the international competition. It all kind of worked together in one. Uh, as, as a whole and i had to spend a bit of time porting that across to a new language called monkey which which allowed you to write games for uh, pc but also uh, mobile devices once that was once that was in it you know it probably took a couple of months to get that translated once that was in i could use the the art from the earlier games and got the the sort of mini game of kicking a ball up and running and and it was a very quick process from that point. It was about six months, I think, to getting the game out. And uh, yeah, it, was, uh, it, it didn't look amazing. Um, it was obviously sort of cobbled together in lots of ways. Um,
1: but people didn't care about that. They just enjoyed the, the addictive gameplay. You mentioned about the look of the game as well. I mean, do you think your players prefer the, the 2D style of gameplay? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, I, I've always uh, loved that
0: kind of sensible soccer viewpoint. Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't suppose it matters too much as long as the game's, uh, fun and, and on mobile, it has to feel tactile. I think that's one thing I, I nailed with the, you know, the ball bouncing across the screen and you use your fingers to tap it. But there was something similar to that on, uh, a web game, um, uh, where there were various versions of it where you'd take a free kick. They'd sort of set the angle of the, the shot. Um, uh, then you'd click on the ball and the ball would swerve depending on where you clicked it but i don't think anything um had a bouncing ball and sort of tied it together in the same way as uh, as i did where it was within the flow of a game kind of thing and you have different chances coming up so yeah i think as long as it feels right i don't think it matters too much how, how it looks
2: I oh, so i was wondering you know you've got rpg elements in the game were there any other kind of elements that you'd like to add to the game maybe like a first person shooter
0: aspect at one point or <laughs> something like that no it's uh it, I, I do like that uh, having that depth on that side of the game You know, it's something where you can have a career and it's not just about um winning games and winning the, the league it's actually a bit deeper than that so if it made sense to, to you know have any other mini games i'd use them but it, it, everything had to be sort of short and snappy
1: and uh not tricky Detract too much from the sort of game loop. Well, one of your games that's been massive in recent years is their Retro Bowl. Which, why the focus on um, American football for that? Then was just just to try and like reach a bigger audience stateside. Was it? It wasn't specifically that. I I, I was a little bit a uh, lost uh,
0: a loose end, I guess. I I worked on New Star Manager, which we on on mobile, um, and that took a long time, and I was a bit kind of. Uh, fatigued by the end of it and I started just thinking I want to just do something simple again something um more akin to new Star soccer and it, I started out thinking about doing a kind of American high school game where you were just uh you had a again like a, a life to, to manage where you had friends out uh, of family relationships and teachers part of that would be having these mini games one of them being th- throwing a, an American football and Catch, you know, to a teammate in, in, in the park and then with the opportunity to maybe get selected for the, the, uh, the high school team. And I just worked on that mini game and it felt so good just throwing this ball um, and seeing your teammate run along and catch it. Uh, I started to develop it further and got you know, two teams of 11 on the, on the field and then I got them interacting. So when they hit each other, they, they tackle each other and things. It, it just felt awesome whereas the actual RPG side of it of being a, a high school kid was a little bit lame so I thought forget all that let's just make a an NFL inspired football game and uh and I just put the um I remember putting the, the teams in the proper colors for two two American football teams I thought oh, it looks great this this is going to be great fun and again the, the development once I'd been inspired and knew where I was going with it the development was really quick and I think again in about within a about eight months, I'd gone from from that to having a finished product, and it it was something that I'd always been interested in American football, but didn't really follow too closely. Um, but I knew that Tecmo Bowl um, from like the NES days was huge success in in the states, so I was very much inspired by that. But with um, my own kind of take on the the management side, and there's it's not not so much RPG, but um, it's uh, definitely a bit more uh depth to the uh the off field stuff.
2: It must have uh, kind of been crazy because that game was massively successful. Like I think it hit number one on the store above like um apps like TikTok and YouTube and stuff. Um yeah. uh, and also TikTok really helped kind of uh you know expose the game. Uh what was it like when it kind of blew up like that?
0: Oh it was it was crazy. So, I, I mean you don't think think... because it, it New Star Soccer went to number one in the UK app uh charts. And you don't think that's gonna happen again. It's it's a, you know, that's a huge success for, for yeah, one man India as it was. And um it was interesting because I launched the game well, we're getting the years now, but it was a it was it was a good year before it had any success. I launched it around the uh the Super Bowl um time and it got it got an instant kind of following because Apple featured it and suddenly the you know, sales were good, and I was really, really pleased it was doing well. But it was um it wasn't until the following so it must have been a year and a half later that it sort of picked up again. I'd been working on it constantly, updating it, improving it, but it just seemed to kick off with the start of this season about a year ago, and just kept climbing the charts. And it was around the time of um Squid Game sort of craze, and uh, there were a load of Squid Game clone things on on the app store, and they were all sort of sitting in front of Retro Bowl. Fortunately, Apple decided to take them down because they were infringing the like Netflix copyrights or whatever it is. And uh, mm-hmm. suddenly, I was there sitting at number one, um, all on my own. So that was that was brilliant.
1: I mean, talking about that aesthetic. I mean, you mentioned the NES as well. I mean, why did you decide to go down the um, the old school kind of pixel art look and make it look like an eight bit game?
0: Well, one thing is, it's easier. It's it's just so much easier to make. You know, not too many animations. Um, like I. I could do some of it myself. We've obviously got an artist. Um, John Savage does the, the retro bowl games, but I can tweak things. I can, you know, I can just sort of hash things together myself. And, uh, if it needs to, then I, that's when I get a, a professional to actually help, but it is, it's actually good fun trying to do it. Um, do it myself. And, uh, yes, it, it also it's just, you know, it's nostalgic. That's, that's the games I, I love, um, growing up. So. And I, there's, I don't think, I mean, even even my my young boys play um, Retro Bowl and New Star Soccer, and they're not put off by the graphics. So it's not
1: something that I don't, I think many people worry too much about as long as it plays right. Yeah, and I think, you know, the aesthetic to me looks great, but that's really good to hear that younger fans, you know, it's not off-putting to them. But I think it just proves, doesn't it, that gameplay will always be the most important thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and but, I mean, Tecmo Bowl's um, a national treasure in the, uh, in the States. And I, I did worry that it might, that I was sort of treading on hallowed ground, if you like, you know, and people would just mm. criticize it for trying to be, uh, tech Mobile. Um, but they're very different games. You know, this is a touchscreen based game with management elements. There's not very much, uh, in, in that sense on the original NES games, but people love the fact that it looked like, uh, tech Mobile and people, some, some sort of casual fans confuse the two slightly when they're not sure which one
1: they're <laughs>
0: referring to. But it's, um, yeah, it's something that I think, uh, there's really surprising, the actual, the love for the game from American fans is just insane that they've been so positive and I get so few negative comments it's it's, it's incredible, even if I've got bugs in the game, you know, they're just willing to, to help out and try and test them whatever, it's, uh,
1: it's just a really good community I know you brought the game to, to the Switch, but in terms of mobile gaming, I find it quite interesting because in my mind it's probably a very different kind of game that appeals to people on mobile, I mean, in one way, you know, it's again that's always accessible and it's very personal because, you know, it's with you all the time and it's a massive industry. But do you think in like the, the wider gaming world, the, the mobile kind of gaming industries, is it starting to be taken more seriously now? Or do you think it's still disregarded a bit compared to like, you know, PlayStation and Xbox games?
0: Um, I guess it's still got a, a stigma about it. I mean, there are too many games which aren't much fun because they're just basically trying to get you to buy you know purchases. But in terms of you know, the, 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 revenues that some of these games make, it's in, it's incredible that, uh, you know, the, the biggest successes on mobile are equally as popular, if not more than, than the biggest successes on, on console and, and PC. So yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely a, a huge, um, op- there's huge opportunities for developers to, to have success on mobile, but it's getting very, very crowded because of those, you know, potential riches, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's on an equal footing in my mind. It's uh, I, I think maybe because I've stumbled upon my preferred way of making games, you know, they don't have to um, be these AAA 3D titles. They can be simple and they can be interactive and just simple fun. Uh, and I guess that's where my strengths lie as a, as a designer. And you always get that kind of attitude that, you know, people are like Apple, they
2: don't do that much gaming and then you like forgetting all the iPhones or the iPads and, you know, uh, uh, thousands and millions of people that are using uh, games on Apple.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing. I mean, for all um, the criticism that Apple and uh, Google might get, I, I'm never um, quick to criticize because, they, you know, that they provided these platforms for me to get my games out there quite simply you know, quite easily to get them out there. So, yeah, it, it, they, they, if the iPhone hadn't come along when it did, at that point in my my kind of game development career then who knows what i'd be doing now because i was very close to kind of having to get proper job after going into debt as i said earlier um so yeah it came along at the right time for me and it's just uh it, it, it's been a huge um huge success
2: it seems like uh fans have really taken to it as like uh, stuff like leagues being created and like uh, user created content Do you, do you really enjoy seeing that
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, uh, anything that, um, gets the community talking and, and, you know, they've got websites and, uh, YouTube channels and things like that dedicated to the game. So it's, um, that's just really, really rewarding to see. Um, as I say, the the feedback has always been positive. Uh, and I try to uh, help in any way I can. So like one thing that these guys that run leagues need is all the stats from the season collated together at the end of the, end of the season so they can all compare their stats so those sort of things I will put into the game just to uh, just to make it easier for them and uh, they've still got lots more requests and we'll see, see how they go but uh, yeah obviously the people one of the biggest things right now is um, playing head-to-head online or uh, even just passing the device between two players but um, I'm just having a bit of a break from retro ball updates for a little while
2: <laughs> Well I was wondering um, you know the mechanics are really really interesting as well and I think that's what makes it so addictive and fun um was there a lot of like testing with the mechanics did you try it out with your friends or have any kind of focus groups no not really
0: no I I just um I sort of trusted myself I think as as I say when I saw the uh players throwing and catching the ball and 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 tackling I thought this just feels great I kind of knew it was good never expected it to be you know a huge success but um I, I remember showing it to, to a few uh, colleagues and they, they liked it, they enjoyed it, but no, nobody predicted it would um, do as well as it did do. So, uh,
2: Well, Retro Goal was your next title. And um, how did you define that from Who star Soccer and add in those elements from Retro Bowl?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it was just time to, to, to go, go back to uh, soccer, shall we say. Um, and uh, obviously the success of Retro Bowl and this is this is an easy trap to fall into here where you, you had like I had success with New Star Soccer, so we thought, well let's let's do New Star cricket, um, let's do New Star Baseball. And those games never had anything like the success of New Star Soccer. And in in similar uh instance here, it's like, well, Retro Bowl's been super successful, so let's try and do retro goal and uh try and recapture that success and it hasn't been as successful and I don't suppose anything else will be, but um it's still, I still think it's a, a great game. and It's got quite, a, it's got a great, uh, had a great response from players. Um, but yeah, it was a case of trying to capture what was good about retro bowl and uh, not so much new star soccer. There's very, very little influence there. I think, um, other than sort of the organic influence that happened between new star soccer, and retro bowl, I guess. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was just a case of, let's do a, let's do a football game. Let's do something nineties inspired with lovely graphics and, uh, yeah see if we can get another hit was it
2: important to go for that kind of budget as well and have it as a budget release um to to get more people kind of signed up to it
0: on switch i guess yeah i mean uh it's the the the, i guess the issue is when you release a game for free on mobile and then you go onto console you you know there is a a dilemma there of how much do you charge for it but you know if you if i think our our philosophy there is if you're if someone's not buying any in-app purchases then realistically what it what is it worth and um yeah it's uh it's it's one of those where it's um i, I like the fact that it's it's not expensive i just want to get the, the fans to to download and play it also mentioning the switch it, it really kind of feels at home on there um uh
2: what are the kind of great elements of working with the switch and uh what why do you like it so much
0: well i do love the switch it's just a A great device. I bought so many games on it, it's ridiculous. Um, And I do like all the old retro arcade games on there. Um, So yeah, it just feels great playing it with control sticks. We even uh, got some of those uh, NES controllers and made sure that firstly with Retro Bowl that that it would work on that just like uh, Tecmo Bowl back in the day and we wanted to do the same with Retro Goal. Um, So it was just really nice to actually have a, a, you know, a machine which Dedicated to um, game game pad controls, um, and it did did feel great seeing the players running about on a big screen. It looks looks awesome.
1: And I think the Switch kind of lends itself well to retro games, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 so
0: much on there, and I've been going through a bit of a, a shoot 'em up uh, phase at the moment, and just looking up old uh, old arcade shoot 'em ups. <laughs> so I'm doing a bit of, <laughs> bit of research, shall we say? Uh,
1: that's what I tell the wife, anyway. Well, uh, retro Goal, At the time we're recording this, it just landed today, didn't it? But um, so people can obviously go and download it now off the, off the eShop.
0: Yes, yeah. And, it's, uh, uh, and if you if you'd rather try it out for free, you can just download it on your phone or, or
1: tablet and see what you think. Definitely. Well, have you got any plans to explore any new kind of genres? I mean, you kind of <laughs> mentioned you know cricket and that kind of thing. And is that anything you do in the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're always um, thinking about new sports. Particularly, I don't know why it's, it tends to be sport all the time, but. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a hankering to do com- something a bit sci fi, a bit spacey. That's why I've been sort of looking at shoot 'em ups recently. Um, but that's just, you know, at the moment, it's just um, thinking about it and wondering what the next project will be. So uh, I don't know quite what the next one will be for me. Uh, as, as a team, um, we've got uh, something very exciting lined up for early next year, which I won't mention just yet because it uh, should be announced very soon, but that's going to be really fun.
1: Nice. Well, will have to let us know, Simon, when, uh, when you're ready to announce it. Definitely. Yeah, we shall. We shall. Well, uh, Retro Goal is available now um, on your phone or the Switch as well. Obviously, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, really good talking to you, Simon. That journey you know, from doing that uh, the, the VIC-20 programming through AMOS and now having these massive hit games, just an incredible tale. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your memories with us. It's nice to talk to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.